0: Welcome to Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. Today, I'm sitting down with James Lawrence, co-founder and chief marketing officer of Rocket, a leading Australian digital marketing agency, and also the co-founder of the best selling business book, Smarter Marketer. Welcome, James. Darren,
1: thank you so much for
0: having me. Well, James, uh, I'm very curious because I uh, discovered that you actually are a graduate from UTS in communications, which, you know, made sense, but you've also got a law degree. How does a lawyer end up running a leading digital marketing agency?
1: It's a fair question, Darren. Yeah, I um, I describe myself often as a failed lawyer, um, failed in in being a lawyer, maybe not so much in generally speaking. Um, Yeah, so I finished high school, was, um, was kind of strong at English and history and all those types of things and got a reasonable mark and Mum and dad said, you, you should go into law. I was kind of leaning more towards an arts degree at Sydney Uni. Um, studied law and I essentially my brother, who I'm now in business with, and Gary, who I'm also in, in business with, they had a website development um, agency back in the day, in the early 2000s. Um, got a call one day from Dave saying, what do you know about internet marketing? I said, absolutely nothing. He said, great, you've got a job. Um, <laughs> he put me in a, um, it was, a, I guess, a precursor to Amazon. It was a e-commerce site early days being built to essentially sell DVDs and CDs online, lots of money coming out of England to build it up with ambitions to sell it. They had a a 20-year-old internet marketing manager named James Lawrence um, in charge of obscene budgets, budgets which I'd pretty happily (laughs) take charge of now. We were um, signing off on big orders in Yahoo and a whole bunch of different places and that went belly up, probably, you know, partly as a result of having an unqualified 20-year-old law student running the marketing. Um, but yeah, I loved the space. It was growing. It was changing. Um, so I set up a little internet consultancy to get me through uni, really, just kind of, um, beat, kind of pulling beers at Wentworth Park Greyhound, which is what I was doing prior to that. And um, yeah.
0: Clearly, the love has continued because uh, you've managed to successfully transition. This is what now the second uh, agency business that you've set up, uh, actually with your brother, brother David, isn't yeah.
1: it? Yeah, yeah, correct. We um, I graduated uni two thousand and four. Did a year overseas, actually, as part of my legal career. Um, came back, was looking for jobs here, and he said, "Come on, let's let's have a crack at a business." And so we built a. Um, a cloud-based content management system launched a business called the web showroom um scaled up really quickly We're predominantly doing kind of quick and easy websites we bolted on seo google ads type offering um, in an online marketing division just given the I guess the previous experience there um, business grew pretty quickly kind of did really well in all the brw and Deloitte kind of growth awards and um ran that business really well from kind of 2006 through to the mid 2010s. Um, It just became difficult, the website of the business and WordPress was really taking off. It was pretty hard to run a a reasonably small proprietary um, cloud-based CMS in Australia, for the Australian market. The marketing side of the business was doing really, really well, so we kind of took that um, and spanned that into, into Rocket, which we launched in 2017.
0: Now, um, you said failed uh, lawyer, but there must be parts of that legal training that you find just pop up every day in running a business, you know, everything from understanding contracts and, and yeah. really, you know, the the way that the law works. I mean, it, it wouldn't be seen as a wasted effort, would it?
1: No, I don't think so. I think yes and no. I Because um, that was always drummed into me, it was... Do law it's a great degree it's very practical it'll help you wherever you go um i think that's true to an extent i think when you study to be a lawyer it changes the way you think i think you do become you kind of looking at two sides of a of an equation you can become quite black and white on things um in the early days of the business it was kind of Hey, you're a lawyer review the terms and conditions review the contracts with suppliers and um and the contracts that we would have with clients but honestly I um, I just didn't really, I, I enjoyed the public side of law. I, didn't, I, kind of, um, I would have gone into criminal law or um, international law. The, the contract stuff, I didn't like it. I don't think I was overly good at it. Um, so I'm really happy to, to defer all legal matters to our <laughs> to, to the law firm that we use. and I think I've almost had to um, deprogram my brain to actually be a marketer and a business owner as opposed to, to be a lawyer to some extent, yeah.
0: <laughs> it's interesting you said that because uh, you know it, it's um, law is one of those professions that uh, people either go you know go into for uh, for the sort of satisfaction but also the money. I mean everyone knows that commercial is where the money's at yeah. and the crime doesn't pay
1: correct. Unless you're working for the uh for, for the really successful drug dealers and blackies, your <laughs> your, your petty uh, you know traffic offences and whatnot not so good. But I'm kind of, I, I find myself surrounded by lawyers. Kind uh, of my brother's a barrister, the other brother and my friend, my good mate is a barrister, and I've still got a lot of friends from uni, so I, I still feel like kind I'm of, um, exposed to the space for better or worse. Yeah.
0: Now. How would you classify, because you you talked about you know, how um, web showroom was the early days of building websites, yeah. whereas rocket's much more about the marketing and using digital marketing. Uh, you know, for people to get a a good sense of what the difference is between the two from your perspective, yeah you know, clearly yeah you know, websites are still a part of uh, an organisational or brand's digital presence. Yeah. But what's the focus now?
1: Yeah, for sure. I think for us, it was just a case of specialisation where we're we're not a huge agency. We're about 50 staff in total. Um, Really hard. You can kind of specialise in different ways, whether you go a vertical specialisation or whether you go into kind of a subject matter or product or service specialisation. And for us, with the types of clients we work with, we just felt we couldn't be great at building websites and then also be great at running performance media, running SEO, um, those types of things. So for us, we just made a decision to stop doing any web dev from scratch. Yeah. But we obviously will jump into the tools. We've got a small dev team that'll work with clients to make SEO changes. Um, but for us, we I think over time we're doing, it's kind of funny, we're doing less and less as an agency where we're really focusing heavily into Google, so that's SEO for clients with organic needs. Um, Google Ads and and that kind of suite, a lot of paid social as well, then do bits and pieces in order to kind of help clients in those channels. We've got a creative team. We do bits and pieces with automation and email marketing, but fundamentally it's SEO, Google Ads and and paid social at the moment.
0: Now, is this transition part of what triggered the idea for you and David to co-author this book, Smarter Marketer? Is, is it that sort of the lessons of yeah. going from yes, you've got your website, but how do you actually generate return on investment from your marketing activities?
1: Yeah, for sure. We, um, when we were like probably was around 2013, 14, every month would have issues with the website side of the business. It's difficult to make clients happy. It's hard to scope. It's essentially the same thing as being a builder of a house, you know. It's a, kind of a thankless task to some extent. Um, profit wasn't great if there was anything at all. The marketing side of the business was attractive, happy clients. We'd make them good money out of it. Um, we it was. We had about 100 staff at the time. It was kind of how do we... How do we change? How do you move a business? It's not not the biggest business in the world, but still, you know, we're we're a family business, independent business, and how do you kind of make the transition? Mm -hmm. And so we worked quite closely with um, a Canadian consultant called Ends, who does a lot of consulting to creative agencies, digital agencies around the world. Um, Worked with him and it was all about specialisation, narrowing your focus, leaning into what you're good at, um, and then building partnerships and referrals to, to suppliers where you might not be as strong. And as part of working with him, is like, You've got to codify your knowledge. You've got to put down in writing what is your perspective? What's your perspective on marketing? Um, we didn't, and by that point, we had a lot of experience. We kind of, I've been doing it since 2001, kind of almost when Google was coming to Australia in terms of Google Ads. Google wasn't the kind of number one search engine at the time, it was Look Smart a bunch of <laughs> um, platforms that have come and gone. And so for us, it was, we didn't want to write, um, you know, the equivalent of a Facebook guide or a how to do Google ads in 2015, 2016. We wanted it to be um, a piece that would stand the test of time and that, you know, maybe not in 30 or 40 years, but just genuine um, principles that would guide an in-house marketer to help them generate better results um, and put a framework around what, they, what they're they doing. and um, because for us, the early stages of digital kind of weren't even marketing. Like it was a very technical pursuit. Um, almost just being there was enough. Like it was we we're trying to convince businesses to to, to buy Google AdSpace, not to kind of optimize and beat the competition. It's like, hey, take some take some budget out of Yellow pages and move it into um, into Google. And by the time of writing the book, that wasn't tr- the truth anymore. Like it was the old school marketing tactics, um, things that have worked think uh, one of the opening chapters of the book is about an account manager walking across the agency floor, reading out excerpts from this book. And it was all about split testing ad copy, in, um, in how busy your your end your prospect is, and how they're time poor, and um, the importance of cutting to the chase and web copy uh, and copy. And we're kind of like, yeah, like what's what's the point? It's marketing, right? Because the book was written in 1923, and, was, <laughs> and we're like, hang on, this book, which is you know, almost 100 years old. Is encapsulating a lot of the stuff that we're doing as a digital agency now, and I think for us, we've got to that point where digital marketing is kind of just marketing. Yes, there's some differences in terms of technical stuff that um, is super important to get right. So we tried to we're trying to make it a try to put a, put together a piece that um, would stand the test of time, but also take into account that the landscape is different with digital than what it has been traditionally.
0: Yeah, I think one of the interesting things from my perspective is that, you know, the very earliest days, and I'm talking, you know, the last part of last century, digital was all about this idea of interactivity and being able to, at scale, have uh, personalised conversations and engagement with uh, customers. At some point around sort of 2005 to 2010, and I think it was with the the sort of rise of the Facebooks, you know, social media suddenly was pushing at scale and becoming just another advertising media. Yeah. You know, that this idea of being able to specifically target and engage a particular audience around what they're interested in disappeared to just blasted out to as many people which which suddenly put digital advertising on the same level as traditional broadcast or newspapers or any other yeah. type of advertising it was just about the numbers rather than about that powerful ability to to target individuals i always thought that that was um, partly driven by the investors who just wanted to see big numbers mm rather than a loss of sight of what the technology can actually do. Did you have a similar feeling?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think it was really interesting you said that. The the Facebook rise around that period changed what we did as a business. Like, up until then, it was all intent-driven marketing, right? It was SEO and Google Ads, and then how do you optimise a landing page and a website to increase conversion rates? Um, yeah. And that was... And the, and the pitch to clients was you can't, you know, the classic, I'm you know, wasting half my marketing spend, I just don't know which half. Digital can solve that for you. Give me 50 grand for Google Ads in a month. I'll push 10,000 visitors to your website. We'll get the X number of leads. We'll track the sales. And if the sales outweighs the 50 grand, let's just put more in next month. Um, quite linear, more technical in nature and less competition. Things didn't have to be done down to the one percenters. Um, yeah. And then kind of Facebook boomed, the ad platform kind of then caught up. Um, Obviously those those platforms are all about user growth and and time in platform, essentially just selling eyeballs. And and then we started to look at remarketing in Google and stalking users around the the web with ads that (laughs) we're not trying to buy tennis shoes, throw tennis shoes, and um, and then social targeting got better. And it did kind of flip the switch. and, And I think, as we've seen, you've kind of got all of these providers now contesting the digital media budgets. You've got tr- traditional um, agencies, advertising agencies, which is, which is just a foreign space to us. Like you and I have spoken guess our perspective is you have come from this performance digital viewpoint. Um, I think we used to, I used to just look down my nose at kind of the idea of awareness and brand campaigns and I was like, we have vanity metrics and these agencies are hiding behind these things that don't work and I've come full circle on that, right, which is now in order to have great demand generation campaigns and lead gen campaigns working, you need to have the always on brand stuff, whether online or offline. Um, And we just see it clients that invest in long term marketing and advertising strategies are the ones that get the best return from their performance budgets as well.
0: Um, Yeah, I think it's McKinsey talk about full funnel, you know, this idea that because uh, performance uh, performance marketing, as you said, was really at the bottom of the funnel. There, yeah. you know, that, that you already had people that were in market. They were searching through, yeah. you know, search engines like Google. They were you know, they were online looking for the options because they were already aware at the top. Yeah. They're in consideration. But you know, I think a lot of uh, performance marketers have started to realise that Google will only deliver the same sort of group of, of, of people at any particular time because they're not filling the top of the funnel. Yeah. So if that's your sector, you need to be contributing to filling that funnel. Totally. Got, yeah.
1: there's, there's, you know, we've got statistics about everything, but the, in the actually it's in the book is that in any, and this is obviously an average, but in any given market, 97% of people in that market aren't in market. So yeah. with the idea that, and, you know, we've seen it, Well, before digital, the car manufacturers that are there marketing to to kids and to 20 somethings, knowing they're not going to buy the car until they're 40 or 50. Um, Google's research around um, paths of purchase in in travel, sorry, in in cars, in auto, is that it's 900 touch points from from when you start the purchase to when you actually go through with it. And we see it again, like the channels. We still sort do heaps of hate to work bottom of the funnel, Google SEO, Google Ads, that stuff still plays a role for sure. Um, but a lot of the work we're doing in LinkedIn, in terms of paid social, into even in things like Facebook, YouTube, they're not bottom of the funnel channels typically. Like they're, they're channels that you will get a better, a, your best long term return if your the content, the messaging is meeting people at that top of the funnel type type area. Um, yeah. We see it ourselves. Back in that period, you're kind of referencing that, you know, 2006 to say 2013. And it was was a different business, but we were spending quite significantly on Google Ads at the time. And every month, I just know what it was. I'd spend X amount of money, I'd get 300 leads, I could make X amount of sales. Every month, it would always be the same. And it'd be one click, speak to someone, is it a good fit? Yes, no. We just, there's no client. We are working with, um, you know, higher end clients now, but... I reckon five to ten percent of the time that would be the journey to work with Rocket. It's now came to your website, read some content, like the signed up to your newsletter, saw you speak at an event, you know, heard you on a podcast, read your book. It's it's just this multi-touch. So for us, it's about how do we go out there and build a, a relationship with marketers, and then when the time's right, I'll come to us.
0: And and that's one of the things you do highlight in the book that marketing is about that multi-touch, you know. And and while a lot of people talk about the customer journey to purchase, you know, in a lot of a lot of categories and especially B two B, it's never linear. No. You know, it's it can be such a random uh, process because they're really in a curiosity phase. They're trying to solve. A a problem that they have, or a desire that they have, or an opportunity that they have, and so to be able to sit there, you know, I always love uh, customer journeys that are nice and linear and logical. (laughs) And I go, you really don't understand human beings, do you? Yeah.
1: And I still don't mind the funnel. Like, you know, you've got flywheels, you've got all these different depictions. I don't mind it in the sense that um, it's illustrating the fact that, you know. There's, there's certain activity that should be done without the intention of making a sale and certain activity that should be mm. a bit different, but that's right. I like it. we do a lot of work in B2B and we'll, you know, we'll have a, a marketing manager come to us and say, got great news or just, you know, sales aren't great this quarter. So I've just got, you know, an extra 80 grand to, to pump into a, a demand gen campaign because we, we need sales. And yeah. the response is that's great, but, you're selling seven-figure software, and it's a it's a three-year lead journey from when someone <laughs> might be thinking of signing off on the system to actually procuring it, and the idea that you're going to miraculously force you know clients' hands down that path and fast-track something that is will take years. It's just not how the journey actually works. Um, yeah. So I think it is um, it's flipped, right? Uh, you know, we we always talk to clients about um, in the '70s and '80s. It, you know, the, this, the seller had all the power and life insurance sales and walking door to door. And if you walked into a car dealership, the sales rep had all the collateral and, and had the pricing and they had all the power and the, it's flipped. The internet has made it that as customers, whether in a B2B or B2C context, we do a lot of our mm. research, um, a lot of our consideration before we've even picked up the phone or filled out a form. Um, yeah. So if you try to only get rich people once they've already made up their mind, then you Probably not even going
0: to be in the on the panel to be procured, right? Yeah, I, I probably my science background. I think of the funnel as a particle accelerator, shaped mm-hmm. like a funnel, and that the co- the consumer is like a cloud of electrons.
1: I'm well out of my depth here, Darren. You're going to have to, right. So, to so have they're to they're, be they're buzzing it.
0: around, and when you turn on the funnel, it's all about trying to encourage as many of those electrons down the the funnel as you can. I think that, but yeah. Like good good quantum uh, particles, they can appear anywhere at any time yeah. and in any state, yeah. and you have no control over that whatsoever. And that's what I like about it is that it constantly reminds us that no matter how we build these models, yeah. there's always a huge amount of uncertainty. And at the best, we're trying to provide an influence yeah. and an encouragement rather than people being you know, being able to control them to go A, B, C, D cash register rings. Yeah.
1: And that's it. And I think that's
0: the um,
1: that's the right approach, which is generally speaking, we need to provide people a pathway and a journey. Um, some users, will, some prospects are going to go through that super quick because something happens in their business and they need to make a change or hire something or fire something or whatever it might be. Mm. Um, and other users are going to go on a very different journey. Um, but, but generally speaking, there is a... a a, a kind of a process or a framework.
0: Now, there's another thing in the book that I really enjoyed, and that was the idea that um, from the point of view of marketing, in many ways marketing strategy is still the same. You know, the underlying strategy, the philosophy of marketing is still the same. Yeah. And you sort of alluded to that about a book written half a century ago had had similar... You know disciplines and and philosophies, but that people seem to get confused about tactics and channels. And and I'm just wondering if in the digital age that's actually been exacerbated by something you mentioned earlier, which is how technical digital marketing started out being, and continues to have that sort of high level of technicality and language that often holds marketers at arm's distance from what's actually going on.
1: I reckon that's right. Yeah, I think um, And I'm a a humble digital marketer that, you know, we're good at the channels that we operate in and I I don't pretend to be um, a a marketing strategist. If you put me into an ASX-listed business, I wouldn't be the guy to put a marketing strategy together. Um, But I'm a firm believer that you need to know where you want to get to, you need to know what resources you've got and then your strategy is how you're going to get there. Um, right message, right person, right time, properly understanding who your target market is, um, making ruthless decisions like we're huge believers in just saying like the power of saying no, saying no to additional channels or additional campaigns and go deep at stuff that is working. So. For us, like a lot of the time, someone will reach out to us and I'll say, I don't, I don't think that what like SEO or Google Ads or digital marketing is actually what you need to solve this problem. Like it's and it's not always the right approach, right? Like particularly a lot of B2B contexts, particularly in the States, you've got active trade shows, conferences, whatever else. A lot of that stuff still makes business work, right? So, um, and there is this big temptation around just channel channel um, tick boxing, Right. TikTok's huge. Got to be on. Got to be on LinkedIn. Got to send my EDMs. Got to pump out my blog articles. Whatever else. I think it's like take a step back. What are you actually trying to achieve in terms of your marketing? Um, what resourcing do we have? And then what's the plan? And um, that's not to say like a lot of this, like, A lot of stuff just is important. Like as you touched on earlier, you need a great website now. Websites are the center point of digital marketing activity, word of mouth referrals, potential employees. Um, Generally, you want a really strong SEO campaign that's that drives most of the traffic around the net. It's um, performed better in a B two B context. Um, I think most businesses have some um, should be considering Google Ads at some level. Because the breadth will depend on what they're trying to achieve, but I think fundamentally it's marketing. Right? Who's your target market? What do they do? Where do they play? How do you move them? Um, how do you give them what what's good for them, not what's good for you? Um, so, yeah,
0: yeah I'm a in that. It's an interesting point you make around, you know, the multitude of channels because you know, it's not just uh, TikTok's the latest hot thing, mm-hmm. but uh, what are you doing about NFTs and uh, what are your plans for the metaverse, I think, is the, the hot topic that you're reading about at the moment. And yet marketers have limited budgets. They have limited resources. Yeah. You know, it, a, a good business model is actually... Defining a marketing budget that with a target of what's the return on that investment yep. to actually justify the budget, and it's
1: it's a <laughs> I guess it's an eternal <laughs> it's an eternal challenge in business right? drive, but it's often I don't know we 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 come in and often we're almost impartial like we're coming in we're dealing with an in-house marketing team, and if we think something's just not realistic or not not right, often they'll bring us in and we'll be talking to. C-suite or CEO, MD, whatever it might be, um, but I think it is right. It's about what's, where does the business need to get to, and if it's revenue of X or whatever it might be, what's a reasonable amount of money to spend on marketing? Is it five to seven percent? Is it seven to ten? Depending on are we trying to grow? Is it an industry that um, generally spends more or less on marketing? Um, and then. You can't come at it from these are all the channels and these are all the tactics, let's do them and do them with just waiting. It's got to be what are the activities they're going to take us where we need to get to. Um, so a lot of the time, it's just don't do it. Don't even entertain it. Don't play there. You don't need to be on TikTok. You don't need to be on Facebook. You may. Maybe it's the absolute best place for you to be, and, um, but just because something is big and growing and the thing that... The thing we get wrong is that I don't think this was a conversation that really small to medium-sized businesses and mid-market businesses would have had 20 years ago. I've got to be on TV, I've got to be on radio, I've got to be doing fire drops, I've got to be on Paramount Road because they would have just gone, this is the way we market our business. Um, but with digital, is this, we're missing stuff and it's changing so quickly. We've got to be everywhere um, and it's just not right.
0: Yeah, look, I think, and, and I'm glad to hear you say that you actually advise clients that, you know, they shouldn't be in some channels if those channels aren't right. But, you know, I think there's a huge amount of FOMO, you know, fear of missing out. And it's actually driven by the fact that so much of the industry sales around media channels actually plays to FOMO. You know, I I have this joke with people, I say, when was the last time you talked to a social media strategist that didn't recommend social media. Yeah. Or when was the last time you talked to someone that specializes on LinkedIn that didn't recommend LinkedIn yeah. for B2B? You know, there's this whole uh, sales mechanism that exists. It's not called sales anymore. It's yeah. called strategy or, you know, and and it's really there just to get you to be in a channel that may not necessarily be the right channel for you.
1: And I think that's um it's a bit um patient doctor right like if you where does the responsibility lay? or if you go to a mechanic and you say hey can you change my brake pad because it's squeaky and it gets changed and it's still squeaky and you come back and you go well you didn't fix it and it's like well that wasn't the problem to start with and i think often um clients will come to us and dictate we need x or we need y and you kind of just you take this you take the order and give them what they want or do you challenge them even if it means they're not working with you and I don't know. Without talking about rocket, one of our values is to right by the client, and we do try our best. If we don't think something is the right path or the right decision, we'll tell a client. Um, and then you do have to overlay that with the reality that you don't always know. Like there's definitely um, campaigns we've taken on which I think we're going to smash out of the park, and we don't. And then ones that you're a bit skeptical on, and you know, two years later, the client's still with you and is smashing it. So it's it's not. There's no. Um, crystal ball but it is a conflict of interest right like you're asking the social media for the agency whether or not you should be spending more on social media it's kind of but I think that comes to the the, the marketing planning and strategy phase right
0: well it really comes down to setting you know sort of what you know, being able to articulate as a client what are my goals what are my objectives what are the pain points what are the things that I'm not achieving
2: yeah
0: and then you know be careful of going to the specialist for the answer because, you know, I, you have a sore leg and you go to a heart doctor. The heart doctor is not going to be the right person for the sore okay. leg. You know, you need to go to the uh, orthopaedic, well, preferably not the orthopaedic surgeon. He'll probably just chop it off. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? You know, you need to be able to get that advice. I actually find a lot of marketers feel that they have to go to their agencies, whatever area, yeah. and specify what they want because what they're scared of is specifying what they're trying to achieve and being sold a solution that's actually not going to achieve it.
1: Yeah, and that's a hard one. I feel... um mm. Particularly with client prospective clients, often they'll be super cagey with budgets and targets and and whatever else. And then I think it comes down to the question of who you're dealing with, right? Like I think if you're um, this, in any industry, there's going to be providers that call it as it is and tell you not what you want to hear, but what they actually believe. And there's going to be others that you know take your money, right? Um, mm-hmm. But I think having a rock solid idea of what you're trying to achieve. Um, a good agency partner or prospective partner should tell you, yep, yeah, you're on the right track and this is how we can solve it. Or actually, no, nah, this is how to do it. Um, and so often with our smaller clients, they are just more business minded stuff, which is we need to achieve your own new growth of X or um, online sales of Y. These are our rough budgets. You guys put forward what you think is going to work. Um, and then generally, with the bigger clients, it will be a single channel type approach or or manage all of our digital media and move it around with these targets in mind. Um, and they've already made the decision further up the line that you know digital media looks like X, and these are the people we're trying to target, and this is what success looks like, and then it's about us going up and executing.
0: One of my um one of my uh, favorite stories was from a colleague that I worked with a while back who was a direct marketer. Remember direct marketing? Mm-hmm. Uh, they're the people that actually should be uh, involved in digital marketing because they actually have those principles. Yeah. You know, The, the Lester Wondermans of the world who, you know, when he wrote his book on direct marketing, had typing pools as a way of typing out personalised letters and mailing them to people. You know, and, and Lester unfortunately passed away a few years, a very few years ago. But, you know, for him to see the way technology allowed a lot of those philosophies and approaches for direct marketing to happen in real time and happen at that sort of scale would have been phenomenal. Yep. But th- this particular direct marketer told me that the best client he had was a bank and they actually paid him a monthly retainer to reject briefs. Hmm. And he would have to sit there at the end of each month with all the briefs from all the different parts of the bank and show and explain why he rejected those briefs for direct marketing and why he did these briefs and what the return on investment. Because, you know, it's that old saying of just because you can do something doesn't mean you necessarily should.
1: Yeah, 100%.
0: And and when it came to uh, talking to your own customers, what he was protecting was building up a um, relationship where the customer was actively rejecting the brand that they were already part of.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, He was saying that the danger is with email and, and, well, in those days, direct mail, that you bombard your customer with these sales opportunities. And if you're only getting, say, 1% response rate, yeah. that means you've got 99% of your own customers yeah. actively rejecting you.
1: Interesting. I like. I think. um, And and those disciplines have kind of come into digital. The um, there's some guys in the states that run a business called Digital Marketer, and they do a lot of training, training courses. We, as an agency, we I think we might have lapsed it, but we would always run our team through it. A a big training online training platform, modules, accreditation. They have conferences. They have one out here in the Gold Coast a few years back. Um, But they all came out of old school direct marketing, right? Um, and just applying those principles to um, to a digital context, because I think the nature of digital is that it is, you know, you've got your your failed lawyers that have moved in, and you've got your, your bigger media um, conglomerates that have kind of come in from a different drill. Or everyone's kind of come into this space and probably doesn't um, always have the rigor or the kind of the, the fundamentals being applied to it that um, that it probably should. But um, yeah, it's it's, it's um it's interesting. Well-
0: I think it's funny that we're sitting here talking about digital because in actual fact, you know, if you look at uh, digital television, digital radio, digital out of home, uh, there's very few media left that are actually not digital yeah. in some ways. And and we're moving towards a world where there will be that flexibility. I mean, I, I saw an article where the um, out, out of Home uh, Association was talking about how there needs to be more use of the digital capabilities to be able to put customised messages up, you know, in real time. Yep. Whereas, you know, back in the old days, you had to get the skins printed and then they had to be installed and they'd be up there for a month. Now you can have digital messages flashing onto screens in minutes.
1: That's yeah. mm-hmm. We Like, <laughs> we call ourselves a digital marketing agency, um, acutely aware that that are digital will be redundant very shortly, right? Um, And I I do, I've got a kind of a presentation that I'll deliver, I don't know, 10 or 15 times a year and one of the slides has kind of digital just struck through and because you're right, like TV, radio, outdoor, or being bought programmatically or soon to be bought programmatically, um, we've got a generation of kids coming through, it's just, it's a redundant concept, right? Um, So, it's that's the reality and so for us it is just looking at kind of you go as an agency into a channel um, expertise or a vertical expertise um, and that's kind of the decisions we're making and it's changing every year right as to where you kind of push your
0: focus so you know you've, you've built up quite a um, quite a good uh, portfolio of clients you know and small medium to, to larger clients what what is it from your perspective that makes a great client? What are the types of things that great clients do yeah. that really allows Rocket to deliver to them the best value possible? Great
1: question. Um, first one is like respect and trust. I think if you um we're not we're not brash, but we come into every interaction with a prospective client or existing client, um, expecting it to be a meeting of equals we're really good at certain things and and they're going to be really good at certain things. Um, You need to give your agency partner trust, leeway, and let them do what they do and and do it well. Um, I think giving us some level of autonomy. I think if you're being told what to do, if you're being dictated to all of the time, you end up just being an taker that's fulfilling tactical tasks. I think it becomes very difficult once you've, you've lost that. That upper hand. I think this is kind of a a basic one, but just treating um, your agency partner with respect. One of our one of our four values is no jerks, and we just it's how we treat each other in the agency. It's how I'd expect a member of our academy team to treat me. How I should treat them. How I treat partners and how clients. I would want my team to treat clients and vice versa. Um, Humans make mistakes. (laughs) Balls get dropped. Give feedback. Give it directly. Um, And then I think the fourth one for me is it's nice to do that soft stuff, but you need to hold your agency to account. So I think it's have that North Star metric or metrics. These are the things that actually matter um, and then make sure, there's
0: a plan to get there and that you're not deviating from it. Uh, Fantastic advice, James. Thank you. Uh, I've just noticed the time. uh, I could continue this conversation for hours and perhaps we can uh, revisit it sometime soon. But thank you very much for uh, sitting down and having a chat for Managing Marketing. Thanks, Aaron. Love to come back. Well, look, uh, just before you go, I've got uh, a final question and that is, uh, of all that uh, huge portfolio of clients, which one's your (laughs) favourite?